speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. Today, we're speaking with Heidi Lara. She's a mom and host of the podcast, All That Trauma. She's going to speak to us about growing up in the foster care system, experiencing child abuse and neglect, and the impact of church trauma. Hi, everyone. So we've got Heidi Lara here today. And uh, Heidi has heard out about her podcast. And we've got so much in common. And we're going to get into it. But today we're talking about uh, how we survive childhood trauma and what that looks like. And so Heidi, welcome. Welcome to When We Speak. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It's very cool to be on this end of it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could, um, in whatever way your bio comes up, tell people about, tell them, tell them who you are. All right. So uh, in talking about childhood trauma, which is, um, you know, the <laughs> a very, very big part of my life, um, it really started, let's say, uh, in the 80s. So I was born in 1984. Um, and I was born into a family that was uh, Pentecostal. They're very, very religious. My father, super religious, mother, super religious. And like we only wore dresses. We couldn't wear shorts. My mother didn't cut her hair. She didn't wear makeup, none of that stuff. And uh, on with that, um, growing up, I don't ever remember ever really leaving home maybe once or twice I can actually remember myself in a car. And, and at one point we were going to a far drive to a church or whatever, but outside of that, we stayed indoors. And um, the main reason for that is because my father, um, he was very mentally ill. He was a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, and in saying that he was very, he started acting super odd. And a lot of the information that I have gotten on some of the stuff that I'll talk on is because I've recently just dove in trying to heal from all this and researched a lot of it um, to really understand where everything started and why everything got so crazy. Um, so he, yeah. Before you go on, so that's, that's important because as children, we're watching really bizarre behavior Right. And we don't really have the answer. And it's not until you start digging in years later. Right. Yes. Uh, that's very important because I think that you think that it's normal. <laughs> not I think you think that it's normal. Your parents tell you this is the way that you go. This is what we do. This is how we act. That's the way that you act. So, yes, completely agree. And um, so I've done a lot of diving in, in trying to heal from all of this. But yeah, my father was, he was very, very, very mentally ill. Um, and he was a very smart guy. What's pretty cool is he was an engineer. He worked in a nuclear plant, very, very smart man. Um, but he, he definitely had severe mental illness. He always thought people were plotting against him. He heard voices. Uh, he would take baths and bleach. He would do weird stuff to us, like giving us molasses and pouring cod oil on ice cream and very crazy. And his, yeah, go ahead. When you were, when you were guys were experiencing this, where was mom? So she was there and I do know that she was, uh, uh, you know, she was also abused in this. Mm. Okay. But she was not mentally ill. She was just kind of pulled into this. And then she also became part of the abuse and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to, 
try to gauge who's who's at fault. But if I could put who's at fault, it's her. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, but it's, at some point you've got to say, hey, this has gone too far and, and take a step for your family when you're not mentally ill. Some people I understand it's not as easy to say that. I am saying that as a um victim, not as the person that's been, you know, the mother in that situation. Uh, and I realized that, but that's just my own personal, <laughs> my own personal thought on it. But yeah, uh, so things got really, really crazy, really, really quick. And he started progressively getting very much worse. He was not seeking help. So he didn't have any medication. He was just doing these things that, um, and if you know anything about that specific illness, it does kind of get worse and worse and worse. And there was people that heard the abuse. Um, so when I'm talking abuse, I'm talking, this house was a house that was very dark. All I could remember of that was a very, very dark home. We had that wood paneling on the sides of our walls and we would stand in the corner for hours. So all I can really think of is dark places, but the corner for hours was one thing that he would do to us. And if you didn't stand up, like he would come at you with a spatula. Um, if you didn't hold your fork right, he'd come at you with a spatula. And he would put us in the shower for hours. He would put us in cold showers for hours. And it was this very, very small shower, the little glass, whatever, encapsulated. You can't, there was no refuge from it. And I never had an end to those showers. And my sister was like, it's because we passed out. I never realized that, but it was the worst just, and I deal with that now. Like that is a big, big trigger for me. And I'm grown. Like, let me just be, I'm grown. I understand things. I'm a very quote, quote, normal person. And it sounds easy to get out of that, but no, it's a very real trigger for me. And it'll take me to a very scary place. But what was your age range when dad was the abuse, the mental illness, that's, you know, all of that. We hadn't even really gotten into the story yet, but what was the age range around that time? That's a good question. So it started before me because CPS came to our house before I was even born. So I was born in 84 and I think they came once in 83 and then they came in 86. They came two different times, one like before me and the one after. So all I remember is that, which is another reason I don't really remember going around, moving around. And something about that mental illness too, is it hits around 27 to age 30. So he wasn't always like that. It hit him. And then, you know, my, my mom was too far in it to just, it's just, it's kind of like, wait, what's happening? What's happening? And so it kind of was like this, like, you know, you're already in it so deep before you know that there's a problem. So I think that's really what happened with her. But with me, you know, um, I was born into it. It was, the abuse was already, was already ongoing. So as far as like taking cold showers like that, I was very, very young. Um, and I read his, his interview, which was pretty cool to really understand from his side, um, which it was not very easy to read through, but, um, yeah, I was very, very young two, three, four, five. So we didn't go into foster care until I was five. So all of these abuses were definitely before five. And um, the the cold showers was one thing and the corner was one thing, but it progressed into belts. He would have us nude on his bed. He would just send us to his room. Me and my sister usually were together and we would just be completely nude and he would hit us with belts. And then after a little while, it graduated to sticks. And I remember 
him having us pick them out. And we were just like, oh, okay. You just told us to pick out a stick, like for no reason. Like we didn't understand what was happening. And I remember just being like, pick a stick, like just so like a child. And so he did. And whatever stick that we picked, that's what he started using. And that was awful pain. Like I, I still can remember very, very well. Cause you're completely nude. Yeah. And of course he went for your butt, but it was often your back and all the way down your legs, your head, all of that. Everything. Let me ask you during that time with his mental illness, certainly it wasn't a secret. So uh, were there any aunts, uncles, neighbors, church members? Nope. So for we, the church that we went to, we stopped going to because we were at that point starting to get covered in bruises and stuff like that. So we started doing church at home, which was weird, but I would like play this little tambourine and my brother would play these electronic drums and he was the preacher, which is terrifying because it's something it is something from a nightmare. Like these things, like I see on TV where I'm like, I totally get that. Like it's, it's definitely a nightmare. So he, he gave us church at home and we never left. And there was not, now my mom, she had parents that lived in California. And there was one point that we left to go to California. And I remember, I think I was already about five. So it was very soon before we left, but um, we went to California, stayed with them. And the whole time I always thought, why did we not just stay there whatever? But really she was seeking refuge because CPS had been called on her. So the ones who did know were the neighbors, the entire street. And something cool about that is that now one of the neighbors reached out to me, found me on Facebook and was like, Oh my God, y'all are alive. Like this whole thing. It was a crazy thing. Um, But we, apparently all the neighbors knew about it and they were the ones that were reporting it to CPS. That is amazing. Angels. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It is. That's crazy. And somebody else, the uh, a guy that was working on refrigeration or something, he heard us screaming for hours or something like that. And he went in and was like, I need to use your phone and, and reported it. So there was people that heard it, but uh, I guess and the straw that broke the camel's back was, um, our dad took a, uh, a metal rod from the screen door and he started using that as abuse. So instead of the belt and then the stick, he started using a metal rod. And in that he broke nine of my brother's ribs. Um, and then his leg, he just, he needed skin grafts. He had a broken arm, um, just horrible things. And these abuses were just, just ongoing every day, never ending. But that rod, once it graduated to that, the pain was, or the um, detriment that he caused, there was no stepping back from that. And they tried to heal him for like six months or six weeks rather, but they couldn't get him back. It was done. And so my dad is actually the one who turned himself in. Hold on. Wow. Yeah. He, so I think he had a, from what I read and what I hear, uh, like testimony type stuff is that they were going to go to, we were going to go on like a trip to go, um, hiking or something like that. And my dad was the one to say, he's not going to make it through this. And my mom was like, look, we'll, we'll just take our, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take him and just whatever happens, happens type of thing. Um, but my dad was like, no, he's not going to make it. And so they took him to a local hospital. The hospital was like, oh my God, we don't even have, it was a, a small clinic. 
they're like, we don't have what we need to take care of this. So they took him to the hospital, the main hospital. They called up there and they said, hey, there's an extreme situation coming to you. And uh, when they saw him, they said that was the worst that they had ever seen at that hospital. And this was in Amarillo, Texas at the time. They were like, you have brothers and sisters? He's like, yeah, my sisters are all at home because um, I, have, I have an older sister. She's two years older than me. And then we had a baby sister. She was only six weeks old. Um, and so we were still there at the house. And so, you know, I remember that very well, the police coming in and just taking pictures and asking questions. And it was very weird. So <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it. So CPS comes in, you know, all of this is, is happening. Was there anyone, oftentimes what I see is the, the kids are just kind of swept up into the trauma and the chaos of the moment. Mm-hmm. Anybody at that time, even your mom, who was also a victim of abuse, was there anyone who said this is what's happening and, and just explained it to you at all? Mm-mm. No, 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 no. I don't No, No, um, the police came to us and, and really they asked us questions, but we didn't really know what it was resorting to. And we were just so, you know, terrified of our father. Yeah. We were just like, what, you know, and I was at peace because his boots were gone. I remember that moment, like his boots were gone from the door. So I knew he wasn't at home. And every time he wasn't home, I felt kind of like, like a, like a relief and his boots weren't there. Yeah. And then the police are there. So, but we had no idea. No, 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 no. And we, so we went into, we went to CPS and then we went into this home and all of us were there together, except for my baby sister, cause she was still being breastfed. Um, and we went there and we were out of our minds and I don't remember that, which is fascinating. So I do all this research now. I'm like, I want to understand, I want to understand mentally what's happening, where things are changing, whatever. We were nuts. Like, and I'm, I'm saying that and that's, I know I'm saying it lightly. That's more my personality, but we were just so messed up. So we had not, we hadn't been acclimated to society. So people didn't, we, we didn't go outdoors. So now we're out of the house and we have people that are wearing shorts. Our mom's hair was cut short. We were trying to under, she wore makeup. And of course that's like Satan and God knows whatever. And then they're taking us to an actual church. Where we're like, oh my God, you know, where have we, we we're in hell, you know, <laughs> like, we just had no understanding of reality, no grasp on reality. And so a lot of the focus there was acclimating us into society. Um, but we did, we had night tears and we were wetting the beds and we were, we were doing crazy things because there was sexual abuse there too. Um, and all that's coming literally within the past few months, I found out about that and started having flashbacks on it. So I'm still trying to process all of that jazz, but there was a lot of mess. And so we came in there with all that mess and then just. It was just layers upon layers of trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot. Especially little kids. There's no way you can deal with it. No one can. Mm-mm. So foster parents, I mean, what was that experience what was that experience like for you in terms of did was it a home in which and it may be a hard question but did you feel safe at any point in the process or not so much at that time 
Yeah. So every memory that I have from that moment, which what's crazy is I think that there was a mental shift there because I have a lot more blackout time during there that time than I did when I was um, in the abusive situation. I have like clean, clear, crisp videotaped, like I could script it almost of being in the home, um, my, my original home. And then that very first home, there's a lot of black time where I'm just like, I don't, I, I, I don't remember a lot of it, mm-hmm. but yes, I definitely felt safe. Um, and then a lot of the stuff that I've read again, which is very cool to read on it, that I can give um, true answer and true Testament to this is that at first I was like, no, don't talk to call them mom and dad. They're not our parents. And my older siblings were like, mom, dad, like in such a, like a weird way where they're like, wait, okay. And and having to explain. So all of us were at a loss, whereas me, I was still much more attached to the parent thing to where I was in denial of, of accepting that. Um, Are you the baby in the family? So I'm the second to youngest. So I was five, I was almost six. I was like two months shy of six, but my youngest sister, she was five years younger. She was six weeks old. So she was the baby, which they actually ended up adopting her. And when they adopted her, then we kind of spread out. So we were in like RT centers. When I say we were, I'm speaking broadly because I don't want to speak their story or whatever. I can only speak to mine, but we were in such messed up whatever's that we were going kind of in and out from that home. And then ultimately after about two years, I went to a different home. My sister was in a different home and my brother went to a different home. And then my sister had been adopted. So we were set up. Yeah. Go to this first home. You guys are all together. Little baby sis, you know, she, she gets adopted. Then you guys are all split up. Looking back, did you feel anything in that moment? Like, uh, like, you know, okay, now I got to go to a new place or, well, why didn't they adopt me? Was that, was that a part of your thinking at that time or or not so much? Not at that time, because I didn't understand any of it. Okay. As a teenager, once I started, of course I was like, what the heck? Like, you know, and actually a cool, cool part of that, because I'm sure listeners are like, what the heck? That's terrible. They don't do that anymore. There's laws that restrict that. But back then, which it was 1990 when that happened, they, they didn't have laws against that. Um, so she was adopted. And when we were spread out, I, I actually went to, I'm sorry. I said, I went to a foster home. I actually went to a group home for about, I would say like six months. That's kind of foggy. And that was when I, I had a moment of, um, I guess reality, like a reality check, because I, so I go to this group home and it was like this caseworker just gets kind of the stuff that you have. So if you think about it from this perspective, we had a little bit of our stuff from our real house, but you're not taking all of it, you know? And then from that house, you're taking kind of what you, you still have and maybe what you got from a Christmas present or whatever there. And then you're taking it to this new place. And this is just a group home where there's a crap ton of kids. And I speak on this story explicitly because I have very vivid memories of this, but we pulled up and there's this like dirt road. He took us on this dirt road, long, whatever adventure. And there's these two houses right next to each other. There's a white one right here, a brick one right here. We park and we go through the back of this house and it's just, I'm sure there was an explanation there. I don't remember it enough to know that I still was very much lost in what's happening, but we went through this washroom and it just smelled like dirty mop. It was awful smell. Like just like I, 
I don't know how to explain it, but now if I smell like that, just like, it's just not kept, mm-hmm. you know? And then, so I walked in and then walking through there, we're in the kitchen and someone's being checked for lice. There's kids that are just running around rampant, like crazy. And I remember him telling the staff, cause they had staff there, you know, um, this is Heidi. Oh, welcome Heidi. You know, just this, whatever. And then he was just gone and it's like, okay, that was that. And then they told me where to put my stuff. I just put it on a bed. This is where you'll be sleeping. And then the staff just kind of walks away and just keeps tending to the rest of the house. And so you're just there. Like, <laughs> I, I remember it. What, what next? You know, that's, that's, that's really weird. And, and especially if you have like roommates or people next to you in other beds or who are these kids? <laughs> Yeah. And you don't get introduced to kids. You're just kind of just there. And so I remember sitting on a couch and I would just wedge myself in the corner of this couch, just, you know, just to be invisible. And the kids are just running crazy and you, you don't know how to introduce you. It's just it's a whole thing, but they would come around and pass out snacks. And I had a string cheese in my hand. And I remember that moment is a moment that I, I think everything hit, like I'm alone. I have nobody. I don't, I have nobody, you know, and that that moment was real. That moment will get me every time because I can remember it. And the coolest thing though, and I will never ever tell my story without saying this part of it is that I definitely feel like that's where I had a, a moment of panic, aloneness, but then I immediately had a peace that came over me, mm. which was crazy. Um, and I, in that moment, just felt like I it had to be God. From I, I will always speak to that, to this, from this day forward, every day, whatever. Telling my story will always be that I, that is when I knew that, that God existed because I don't think anybody would have made it through that moment. You know? No, absolutely not. And I've I've been Heidi. I have I've been in group homes, not not from a personal place, but just going through and you know school and all of that stuff. And you have to intern, and so that image that image exists today. Yeah, a lot of it's so sad. Um, I interned at a, a group home and 12, 12 girls in a group home, and when they come in. There is the mop bucket or the kitchen to the left and, you know, the, the smells are just so, um, I don't know, it's, you, you can remember it, it stays with you. And you know what it is? Yeah, the empty room, what is it? I think it's that it's not a home. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it's not a home. Yeah. So it's, it's made into a home, but... It, there's no mother that says, Oh, I kind of, there's something happening here. Let's, and it's not their place or whatever. So it's simply kept. So that smell is the smell of it's not home, you know? Oh, that's powerful. You're exactly right, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the way that things are tended to, especially when you've got kids kind of cleaning up their own little space and all, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not like home, you know, and, but I love how you have this moment in which may cause some children to have a complete breakdown, a complete literal psychotic break. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's like God's angels just kind of come over you Mm -hmm. and it's like, I'm going to be okay. It's all right. I I really think that was an, that was an 
external force for sure, because I felt it. I felt every bit of loss in only probably the past year or so I've really been dealing with what I actually went through then. So, you know, when I would tell my story, I was like, yeah, I came from abuse. And then, you know, I went to foster care, blah, blah. No, I went through severe loss. I lost my mom. I lost my dad. I lost my brothers and sisters. I lost a home, normalcy. You everything, know. all of your belongings, everything. Yeah. And I, I think now I'm starting to wrap my head around it. But even so I was listening to my own story, my own self telling it and like sobbing. I'm like, why am I sobbing my own story? But it's because you kind of absorb it a little bit differently, the older that you get and really understanding what it is that you went through. And then like thinking, I have kids now. I can't even imagine. Like I look at them and I'm like, I can't even imagine them being alone with nothing and nobody, you know, it was, it's, it is intense, but there's all, there's a learning and there's a growing from it and, and telling people that, Hey, you can totally, you know, rock an awesome bun whenever you get older. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. I wish you all could see how beautiful she looks during, during this recording. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> so, well, I'm just saying you can be normal. Yeah, that's that's our story. That's that thing that that you and I share is is you can go through all of these things, and God, the universe, your high power, whatever you call that, can make it so that you do feel joy, you do feel contentment, you do feel love. Yeah. At points in your life, and you've got to have that hope, that belief that you can have that. Right. No, I agree. And that's, I think that's definitely when I found it was there um, in that moment. And it got me through that, but I have a lot of just black space between there, but um, that is where I found my second foster home. She, she came in. I, I guess (laughs) I really like to be very, um, the words that I use are not all the perfectly eloquently, whatever, you know, but they just don't have to be on this podcast. We're real. Okay. Okay. So they go kid hunting, right? (laughs) So they're like, let me go find me a kid. And so (laughs) she found me. She's like, Hey, you know, let me do your hair or whatever. Actually, before I tell that, I have to honor someone that was there. That was a staff member because that is, you know, I, my heart goes out to people that, that truly genuinely care. There was a staff member that at one point did, I was taking a bath and she came in there. She's like, let me, um, you want me to wash your hair or whatever? And I was like, okay. And she washed my hair. I don't remember her talking to me or anything, but she took the time to simply come and wash my hair. And like, she's engraved in my brain, like somebody that spent time and took a moment just to step away from the norm, whatever that was, and to just give me a moment. And then she kind of treated me special. You know, I was an awkward little kid and obviously had tons of problems, but she made it a point to always say hi to me. And so when it was her shift, you know, I had just a peaceful, you know, whatever. So there was that during that, that time there, but outside of that, that wasn't there. So this lady comes up, she's like, a completely different lady. She's like, let me brush your hair or whatever. I'm like, sure. You know, so she's brushing my hair and she's like, do you want to come stay with me? You can stay the night. I was like, yeah. <laughs> right. So I jumped on that bus and I'm like, okay, let me um, go stay with her. She, her and her husband were there. They had two kids, a son and a daughter, and they had a two-story house. 
which was ridiculous. I'm like, that was something I'd never heard of. And then they, they were just cool. Like they had freedom. They did whatever, you know, they didn't have all these rules and boundaries and they didn't do, you know, they had cereal and they would, I tell this story because I need you to know how just normal they were. They would like have cereal and they pour their cereal and they'd eat all their cereal and there'd be more milk and they'd pour more cereal till all the milk was gone. And I was just like, like this, breathed life into me like heaven for real I was in heaven yes yes like I made it to the other side you know so then you go back to the group home and then because the parents have to decide if you fit and mesh well or whatever and so I went back to the group home and I'm like guys found me you know where I'm gonna live and they're like what and I'm like yeah it's a two-story house and everything and they're like what this is insane and I'm like I know you know high fives whatever and so I go and I stayed with them And that home was, it was a good home. Those people are good people, but you will never, ever as a child. And I speak this, not being callous or cold to people who open their homes up as foster parents, but it's never just going to be the same. And I can say that if I was to bring another child into my home, of course, I would treat them with kindness and love and love on them and dote on them, but it's never going to be equal. Mm-hmm. Would I give, would I maybe sneak something extra to my kids to just show them, Hey, you know, I love you and we're doing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's what happened eventually, you know, and I, I caught into that stuff where it's just like they had nicer rooms and they, you know, got these extra things they could do. And the sister got to get her ears pierced and my hair was always cut in like this bowl cut. Like everybody always thought it was a boy and she was this pretty girl. And I just longed for like, normalcy you know well yeah and and you you hit a good point because sometimes I used to explain to people when I worked with children and I work with foster children in specifics and they'd say well you know they're in this foster home and they're acting up and, and they should just be happy and I said no because they're in this home it's not their home Mm-mm. and yeah. you don't know them and you may know a little bit of their history but you don't really know and they observe this person, when, when there's other children, yeah, feel the difference. Oh, yeah. They're aware of it all day, every day. And that other people get to do things that you don't get to do because, oh, well, you're a foster child. You can't do that. Yeah. Anyways, I don't, I don't, I don't want to veer off, but yeah, go ahead. Oh. And the, the truth is, is that's very true. And I remember for years just carrying this knot in my throat. You know, when you're about to cry, yes. but you're not going to cry. Yes. That I remember carrying that for years just because, you know, you see them like crawl into their mom and dad's lap Mm -hmm. and their mom and dad just kissing on them and they can go into the room and tell their mom and dad, you know, when they're going through something, but you just don't have that same. And in this house, this is insane. And I don't even know who came up with this rule, but to me, it's insanity. They, they put, um, alarms on our doors. So when we go to sleep, they would turn on a motion sensor. Mm -hmm. And so when I had to go pee in the middle of the night, I figured it out because like, I'm not rebellious, but I'm very smart. Yeah. And if I got to go pee, I'm going to go pee. So I would run from the very back of the room and like make a beeline for through that thing so that it wouldn't catch my motions with my arms completely down so that like my flailing arms wouldn't get caught by the sensors. I would just run through and then like walk to the bathroom, go pee and then sprint the super awkward, like L run to make it through. And, you know, that's what I would do, you know, and the brothers and sisters, they didn't have, they didn't have alarms on their doors, like just stupid things like that, or like missing your, um, 
visitation. So you would get to visit with your brother and sister. You would call it visits, which now that I'm grown, I'm like, that's just awful. You know, you have a visit on Tuesday or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. no, you're going to have a moment where you get to spend time with your family. Like, I don't know how to right. name it better than that, but your visit, like, you're not going to go get a cavity filled. Like you're going to go spend time with your family. Well, and it can also sometimes feel like you're going to a jail. Sometimes those visits are like at Child Protective Services or, or D, you know, DSS and you're in this little room and, you know, and it's, yeah. And don't even get me on a tangent with that. If you want to like stop like children fear in foster care, if you want to make them feel better, put some money into those facilities so where they don't feel like they're in this awful place. It's very dungeon-like. I remember like the candy wasn't even up kept. It was the kind of crap candy in the little thing. And oh God, just horrible. That everything about the CPS that, that I knew growing up, and I don't know if it's still the same way. Yes. Heck yeah, you feel alienated. Yeah. You know, like there, why, why would you not spend money? Okay. For instance, have you ever gone to a children's hospital? Like, have you ever seen a children's hospital? You know how they spend money. They pour money into Millions that. Of dollars. Yes. yes. To make the child feel at home and to make them feel loved. And you walk in there and you're like, God, I don't, I wouldn't mind breaking my leg if I was a child right now. Like, because they make the child feel welcome and at home, they give you a teddy bear every time you have a visit. Like, where is that in foster care? Yeah. Where is that? That's a whole nother tangent. No, you want to start there, but... Yeah. So we would do that where we'd go on visits, but if our behavior wasn't good, we wouldn't get to have our visit or go to our visit. So there's a lot of us, one of them is adopted. So she doesn't really ever have to go, but sometimes she would. Um, but like, if one of them was just, had a really bad week, cause I don't know they're losing their mind because of what they've been through. Right. You don't get to see your family because you've yes. been there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was awful. So that, that happened. Then ultimately they decided they wanted all of us to get adopted out. But, um, my sister, (laughs) she's, she's, she's been through so much, but she, she went through a situation where they're like, okay, let's, we're just going to move Heidi and with older brother. And we're going to try to drop them two out. And so they made that decision together, whatever. Well, when I moved in with my brother, so now I leave this other place. I don't know that nobody's explaining that to me. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're going to just move in with him for a little while. And yada, 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 to, you know, just to sugarcoat why I'm moving. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one day a caseworker comes in. Okay, guys, we need y'all to sign some papers. Cause at this point he was old enough to sign. Mm-hmm. He was like, I want to say he was like 16 or 17. And I was like 12. Mm-hmm. And so since he signed that he didn't want to be adopted because he wanted to get his college paid for it. My brother's super smart. He isn't. Oh, what a genius. Yes. No student loans. <laughs> yeah. Well, he knew. And he, at this point, he has two master's degrees. Like he is no, yeah. He, and he was valedictorian when he graduated. He was a very smart man. Yeah, yeah. He's so he knew what was up and he's like, heck no. He's he signed, he doesn't want to be adopted. I'm like, I'm not going out by myself. And so I was able to sign and say no. So I moved in with them. 
And that home was a Hispanic, a Hispanic foster family. And he had already been there for a while, like established his place. So I came in there and now, now it's like culture shock. Mm-hmm. They don't eat the same food. Mm-hmm. They speak English and Spanish. And I'm trying to pick up on it. We went to only Spanish speaking church, mm-hmm. but that's where I learned Spanish. So now, you know, the positive byproduct of that is now I'm bilingual, wow. but I was raised in that for, for a while. And honestly, that home they treated me more like family than anybody, you know, they were, they let me call them mom and dad. And I have to say this, I don't want to speak to that on my first home because I was totally out of my mind. Honestly, I could not absorb that. And now that I know them, I'm like, my God, she was like, you know, God, we should have adopted you. We didn't know, you know, they're such good people, but with the knowledge of the home before that, and this one, they let me call them mom and dad and they were very nurturing and stuff, but it was not very long till things just shifted. And it was like, oh, Heidi's very obedient. And uh, she does a lot of chores and she'll do. And so I became the live-in maid. And um, that that was, you know, I, I knew what was going on. I'm old enough at that point to know what was going on. And so that sucked you know, this is my home. This, they let me call them mom and dad and I enjoy it here. So to be able to continue enjoying living here, I'm going to do all the dishes. They had so many kids. There's 14 of us living in the home at that time. Whoa. Yeah. So they were a group home and for, um, I'm the, the words, um, leaving me right now, but, uh, for, for kids who had, you know, mental problems. Mm -hmm. So they had a lot of children and then they had me and then my therapeutic uh, foster foster home. Mm -hmm. That's the word. I was like, why can't I not? Yes. They're a therapeutic foster home. Mm -hmm. So they had normally eight little ones. And then they had me, which I was always older than the smaller ones. At this point I was young teenager and then their own daughter um, who was four years younger than me. And then their kids had kind of started, they were older than me. So they were moving out of the home and making their own families and stuff. But um, early on there too, um, the oldest brother, when I was 11, we moved from Amarillo, moved to Dallas and I was staying with them. I stayed the night with them. And there was a situation where he, he, the only word for it is molested me, but he pretty much had me, Mm -hmm. whatever to him. And as an 11 year old, knowing what was going on there. And look, this is the other truth. All through childhood, like early, early on childhood, there was so much more sexual abuse stuff going on. Kids doing that to other kids and you hearing a lot of sexual abuse, if you ask me, is hearing about the sexual abuse that other kids went through. They're, They're talking mess. Right. Where you're just like laying in your bed, like what? And it's normalized because it's you know it's so prevalent with them, and they've dealt with it for so long. They're talking about it like they're talking about something they watched on Disney or you know whatever. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's further abuse that comes from that, and that just was a rolling whatever. So I knew when that situation happened, I knew what was happening. Didn't feel comfortable, but it was what it was. But that was the real their real son, and so it sucked because I'm like, God, I love this home. And now this has happened. So I kept it a secret. I kept it a secret for the longest. And they, you know, the aunts and uncles, grandparents, everybody just, they loved me and my brother. But then there was that. And then there was us just being the ones doing the chores. And were you taken out of that situation? 
No, because I never spoke on it. You never spoke. So they never even discovered that something was different about you or that anything happened. No. So I kept it like a secret and never spoke on it. And then we would go to church and do all this other stuff. But anything that I did that was kind of out of sorts would get amplified. For instance, and this is, you know, probably TMI, whatever, but I was, when I was a senior, I'm talking, so I wasn't 18. No, I turned 18 in September. I was a senior and had to wait till I graduated till I could get out of foster care. So I was still going to be there for a year. So I had turned 18 and probably 10 days after my 18th birthday, I had sex for the first time. And my parents found out whatever, it was a whole thing. Not to say that, you know, you have to wait to, I don't know how to verbalize that, but that happened. It is what it is, but they found out about it. And I was like, okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. Of course I feel terrible. And I was on the praise and worship team at church. So I, I had to tell the pastors and I wasn't able to sing. And then the pastors were like, oh my God, you're, you don't have to, you don't have to alienate yourself. Right? You're totally welcome to come back. And it was like, just to prove a point of how imperfect I was. It was like, no. No, you, you can't go back. So I wasn't able to be a part of the praise and worship team anymore because I had had sex. And it was like completely opposite of the way that anyways. So f- fast forward, I, I, I just want to say that that is so prevalent in our churches. Just to, to not normalize sex, to not talk about psychodevelopmental stages, to 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 not talk about agency over your own body. Yeah. At least I'm celebrating internally the fact that you're 18. And at this point, you get to make the decision. Yeah. You say, this is what I want. But instead, you're you're demonized for it. You know? Oh, truly. And you know what's worse is that the the church, the church that I went to, they were totally like, of course, they had to have the top of me, you know, you know, be careful and, you know, whatever, yada, yada. But immediately they were like, you're still a part of the team. Don't, you know, whatever. It was my parents that were like, no, 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 no. Cause you did this, you know, whatever. And so it was this constant, whatever. And then the pastors would come me aside, Hey, are you, are you going to, you know, come back on or whatever? And I'm like, my dad says I can't or whatever. It was stupid. It was horrible. Yeah. As if you didn't have enough to be ashamed of, you know, as if you weren't already dealing with shame from everything. Right. And what's worse, and I'm just being the the older son who's just, you know, getting frisky with all the kids is sitting up on the platform as a pastor. And so that was that was awful. You know, so I consistently had to see him all the time. He's sitting up there. And also, I remember during that time feeling like maybe I'm just maybe kids are, I don't know. You almost like normalize it. Yeah. And that wasn't, uh, he wasn't the only one when I was 17, the other brother, and this is something only very recently, like maybe two weeks ago, I kind of processed with a friend of mine, but the, the other brother, so there's two brothers that were their real children. He felt me up. He was like, Hey, if you have, so I wanted my, my boyfriend, whatever I was going to go babysit it at my brother's house. He was like, I was like, Hey, I had already been caught with my little boyfriend trying to come in or whatever. Anyways, it was a whole thing. So I was, since he knew about it, I was like, Hey, can he come over or whatever? I was so innocent. I remember my, so yes, of course I knew all the craziness or whatever, but my heart, I was very 
godly girl and trying to be right or whatever. But I had this infatuation with this boy, whatever. At this time, I think 16, 17 is about when that that was in. I was like, hey, can he come over or whatever? So I wanted him to come spend time with me while I was babysitting. And he was like, okay, you'll let me fill your boobs. Right. Um, and I just remember being like, oh God, like, cause that was to me, my family. Uh-huh. And so clearly I'm not their family. Like they don't see it the same, but my parents, they didn't know any of that. Right. Ultimately I get out of foster care. So anyways, that, ha- that situation happened. So I told him, no, I called my boyfriend. I'm like, this happened. I'm crying. And he's like, we've got to get you out of there. It was whole thing. And then I got a knock on the door and then he came in the door and then he pushed me against the wall and just felt me up. It was whatever. I've never talked about that as a, as an abuse that I went through. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, at least I was older. Like the one where I was 11, I'm like, that is not cool, man. And then I'm like, but this other one, I'm like, well, at least I was kind of like a little bit older. It's shocking. And so what I found is so often it takes years. It takes years to even realize all of the things that have happened. And it, even for me now, I'll get images and, and certain things like, oh my God, I forgot all about that. That's why. <laughs> and I'm 41. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right there. With, so I'm 36. So we're kind of in that same, yeah, like, same, like, like, same thing. Yes. So, so you have this whole experience where you're not allowed to be on the praise team because your parents are concerned. When I grew up in church, if somebody was, if they, <laughs> if they repented of something or if they were found out to have sinned, quote unquote, they would be taken off of the ministry team, whatever ministry team it was, they would sit you down as punishment for, you know, several months or whatever they decide. If, if you're a minister, you can't preach. If you're in the choir, you can't sing. You're in the praise team, you can't do that. If you're an usher, same thing. You're, you're taken out, you know, out of that. And that can cause a quite a bit of shame as it relates to um, just shame as a person. Yeah. Right. Shame, you know, in terms of not feeling like you're good enough in God's eyes, because sometimes we, we see people as versions of God and believe that, well, however they believe or however they feel is the way that God must see me. Um, How did that uh, impact how you felt about church and and your role, how you felt about God, how you felt about yourself? So the shame part is a big deal. Um, And what was crazy is that I assumed because of the way that my parents handled that situation that it was something to be totally ashamed of. And instead they did talk me through it. The pastor's wife pulled me to the side and of course talked about those things, but in welcoming me back, I then became super confused because with my parents being like, Nope, you can't be a part of that. Yada, yada. I think it was more of a, like setting an example of me. Um, I don't know if it was to the family or to make them feel better about themselves, because maybe there's been some missteps in their life, which now later on, I know there's been some major missteps. And so somehow maybe that made them feel better. Um, I do think, and I don't think I've ever actually spoken this. Um, it's easy to get a foster kid and kind of just play with them or use them how you need them in your life. And so in a situation where, you know, somebody's feeling less than or whatever, and then they find that this kid that's actually a very good kid or is, you know, doing well in school and is doing this and this and this, and then, oh, there's this fault. Oh, we have to just make it elevated and all this stuff. That's how I felt. And because of that time frame, 
I was already 18. I was starting to be very much aware of certain things that were offbeat. Um, that was one thing. Um, prom, like prom, I was told you're probably not gonna be able to go to prom. And I had this gorgeous date. Like, let me tell you, this guy that was a guitar player at a church, I was just like, hey, would you be my date? And I really didn't even think he would, but apparently he had this whole like crush on me or whatever. So it was this whole great thing. He was like, of course. So in my head, I'm like, I get to have a prom date, like this whole thing. And then I found out you're probably not going to be able to go to prom because they go to this family reunion during that time. And so it was going to be like, no, you're just not going to get to go because foster kids can't just stay with anybody. It was a whole thing. So like you have to stay with, okay, we're going to let you go, but you can only stay till 10. You're going to have to be dropped off with the youngest brother. And he's going to, you're going to have to stay the night there because the parents are going to be out of town. So I'm like, okay. So I have to go through this whole thing. I get this dress, not to mention, I had to buy it with like my allowance. I bought it from a flea market for $50. So it was a crap dress. And which is stupid. Like that's something that comes from the parents. It's a good thing. I don't know. Anyways. So, and I knew that. My whole point with that, I knew that. So I knew I was being treated differently. So I go to the prom, come, I have to have a friend interrupt dinner and she drops me off at home. My younger brother is not there and I have to be left inside of this car. There's a car in the front that's unlocked. And I slept there until he got home at four in the morning because he was drunk. Mm. So prom nights destroyed, like just stupid little things. Graduation, nobody was there after my graduation. And during this time, we not everybody had cell phones. So I had to find somebody that had a cell phone. It was like 105 degrees outside and my family wasn't there. So, and they said, you know, we, we were there, but we left early and just stupid stuff like that. So with that, I knew that I was being just handled differently. Yep. And the situation was, I, I don't know why they treated me that way. I don't know. But when it comes to God, because that was kind of the original question before I trailed off. <laughs> okay. That was what I clung to. Yeah. That was what saved me from everything. That's what gave me peace. That's what gave me calm. That's what, whenever it was brought to the church or whatever, they're like, oh my God, like that's, it happens. And of course that's not okay. And, you know, they, they gave me the, you know, what can happen and all that different stuff and why we don't do whatever, but the forgiveness was there. So I always was able to, to go to that. There was family, there was church members that were like family to me that they would just, they knew something was kind of off, you know? Um, and so I never had a reason to doubt it. Mm. I never had a reason to doubt it. And even to this day, there's certain things and certain aspects of, of church and God and this and this and religion, whatever, that I get to- totally put out on, yeah. but that's not the God that I serve. Oh, that's powerful. And it's true. That's not, that's not the, that's not the God that was there that was calming me. That's, that's people, humans that are running churches that make mistakes that fall short. I mean, and I get that. And in that, that's not who I put my, that's not who I put my trust in. That's not who I put my faith on. And I fall short. Like there's all kinds of things that I deal with, which this will be candid. I'll be a little open with this. Like people don't want to talk about sex and all that different stuff, but I was sexually abused like as a child and then growing up in through it. So that was very, very normalized since the age of 
since I can remember. Yeah. So this was not something that this is what two parents that love each other do, blah, blah, blah. This is something that was totally perverse, perverted right. and messed up on every level that you can imagine. Can imagine. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it changed my mindset. And so it's very difficult to be a godly woman. Yet I have all this different like this. <laughs> this ain't right. Right. You know, and I have friends that have also gone through sexual abuse mm-hmm. and, and views and like the perversion in that is, is hardcore when you come from that kind of crap. Right. So it's difficult to live that kind of life and know the scope of those kind of things and have these kind of desires and these weird, like, and, and then try to put it all together and make meaning of it. So that's, that's where I turn to God. And that's where I'm like, look, I'm going to let go and let God, because I, I was given no other way in the way that my mind works and the way that my thoughts are, you know, I have to forgive myself. <laughs> I have to take it to God and that's it. You know, there's so, I feel like I just want to have you on my show on this podcast so many times because we have so much in common. Yeah. Yeah. When you grow up for, I'll speak for myself being sexually abused and then it's not even that I just explored my own sexuality. I did, but I was also hypersexual for a period in, in my life. And just, just that was my way of, of coping. That was my process. I no longer feel bad about it. <laughs> so, um, and, but, but there was this, when you talk about trying to make sense of it, there, there was this, it kind of, it felt like on the backdrop of everything, sex was abusive or it was bad or it was evil or if it, it was sinful. What's allowed? What's not allowed? Am I okay? Is it okay to explore my body? Is it okay to feel pleasure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or is it all just a sin and will it always be a sin because it started out as a sin and and just, yeah, all of that. And there's all this stuff to unpack about who I yeah. am as a woman and all, all of that. Only yeah. owning your sexuality back. <laughs> yeah. From all of that. So anyway. and I don't think that's a that's not an easy thing to to task. Yeah. And 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 like what you're saying, mm-hmm. I know that there's so much more to what you're saying because I'm right there with you. <laughs> no, yeah. and I get it. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy is that my mind, because of the stress and the trauma that I've been through, which nobody can, the best way to say it is that I've been through so much mess that it's going to show itself and rear itself into adulthood. And because of that, I deal with so much stress and frustration with my own self, with my own freaking mind where the world is calm and I am losing my mind inside. And sometimes the only way to get out of that is by thinking absurd sexual thoughts. And I'll just put that there. And, and I'm like, ah, I'm good because I'm no longer thinking about how I'm losing my mind, how my perfectionist side of this and my whatever, whatever, that is something that I turn to to get out of that. It's something I use as a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. to save myself from myself. That's good. So where does God come in into that? Where does God come into play? And that's where I just give it to him. And I'm like, Hey, yeah. This is what I've been dealt. Yep. I don't know how else to deal. And, yep. and in that, I will say this because I am a very Christian woman and I, I sing on the praise and worship team at my church. I, yeah. I'm a part of that. Yeah. 
But the truth is that I'm human. And on top of the human part of it is the abuse that comes with it. And it distorts, it distorts. My, my truth is that God knew that before I was even born. Yep. And so he, he knows the roads that I'm going to take. And obviously I have to make good choices. That's the other thing. I'm not saying that, well, I just get to go. No, whatever. I'm saying that my mind can get ahead of me sometimes. And then there's points where I have to say no. And there's times I have to say not. I'm a, yeah. I'm a mother. I've got two yeah. kids and the things yeah. that can happen. And, and I have to make adult choices, yeah. but they are not easy choices to make. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I'm interested in the, the switch. So at the point at which you got to, and it's to me, a lifelong journey, but was there, what was your healing journey? Like when you literally started saying to yourself, I've got to make a change. I've got to think of myself differently. I've got to find meaning in my life or I've got to, whatever your process was, was there, what was that like for you? My breaking point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I ran from that as soon as I graduated and I was, it was clear to me that things were not going to ever be what I wanted to be. I had this facade of family yet. I was just making it what it, what it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran as far as I could. I went to college for a year. I did all the different things. I was just like partied up drinking, doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And honestly, very good outside of that. Mm-hmm. But I, clung to the first person I could find whoever said he loved me. And I'm like, okay. And that was like my high school sweetheart. And we stay connected. And that summer I I saw him and I'm like, I'm never going back to school because he has a family. When I went in there, they're like, oh my gosh, they loved them some Heidi. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is everything I've ever wanted by school, like ditch school, be with this guy, make a family. I'm good. And I could not have been wronger for that. Um, I don't even know if wronger is a word. I couldn't have been more wrong. It's a word today. (laughs) Yeah. I could not have been more wrong for that because ultimately we were so different and our stuff didn't align. And even though he's this amazing, incredible person, we just didn't align. And ultimately, girl, I was sick. I kept having heart palpitations. I was dealing with things where I thought I was dying, but now I know it's anxiety. I would wake up with just severe panic. Um, I had cardiomyopathy after I had my daughter. I had a lot of physical just issues. I gained a ton of weight um, and then I would lose a ton of weight. So I was going through all that in my twenties. Then we um, separated Mm -hmm. and I was like, man, I had a job and I I moved out of this uh, apartment. I got another apartment. I'm like, I can do this. And I'm like broke as all get out. Um, But I was like, no, I'm doing it. And I started running. And so I'm getting healthy and I'm taking care of the the girls and I'm getting them to school as they need to be. Even if I'm waking up at five in the morning, I'm doing what I need to do and making it happen. And I was like on this, I'm good. Like journey, I'm good. So I could forget about that crap. And then I started reading a book called A Child Called It. Have you heard of that? I've read Dave. Um, yes. What is his name? Dave something. Oh, you're going you're gonna to mess. I've, it, I've it read. He wrote three books, I, I think. Yeah. Two or three. I've read them. Yeah. And I, very. So I started reading one of them and I, I thought, oh, this is part of my growing. I can totally yeah. read this. And I was so wrong. I started um, getting flashbacks. Yep. I started 
um, guessing what kind of torture he was going to go through next. And it started ripping my world apart. And I just like fell to the floor, bawling, crying and losing my mind. And then I just started, I remember being on the floor, like, I don't know how to be a mom. I don't know how, like this whole, like horrible, it was awful. It was awful. And I, I lost myself and I was depressed every single day. And there's one thing to feel down. And there's another thing to get in your car and cry your whole freaking way to work or hang up the phone after a business call and then just start crying. Like it was, it wouldn't end. So I'm like, I've got to start studying and figuring out how am I going to heal this? Mm. And when I started, so I started researching, I started asking for police records. I started asking for documentation. Every time I'd get stuff and read through it, I'm falling apart and I'm breaking, I'm breaking, I'm breaking. I'm like, I've got to research, like what causes this? Okay. What causes depression? Okay. Continuous negative thoughts cause depression. Okay. I'm putting myself in my own depression. Okay. So when I start thinking negative, yeah. I'm going to throw a positive in there. I'm going to start saying uh, words of affirmation or lifting myself up. So I started digging myself out of this hole. I started writing and writing. And this is a thing too, this journey, like you're talking about, yeah. this is not a like, okay, for the next three, three months, I'm going to heal myself and I'm going to go through this step program. Yes. It does not work. This nope. is like straight up. And I'll say that this open and honest, it is painful. So be ready, like to the listeners, be ready for that mm-hmm. and dive into it and don't step back. Don't say, okay, I've gone, you know, too far, whatever. No, you. It, it's a long process. And of course you have to stop for your own you know, well-being, like for instance, reading through that stuff and then finding all this crap out. I had to know when to be like, like, that's enough for today. I'm going to wait and and process this, get through this, heal from this, go do yoga, yeah, <laughs> meditate at night to just calm myself from it. And then when I feel like, okay, I've, I've, I've registered all of that. And now let's on with the next. And it's been it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Did you, did you ever go to like a psychologist or a therapist or a life coach or anybody to kind of help you navigate any of that at all? So I'm going to be honest with you and you, especially being a therapist, um, this might just give some insight to where I felt on that end. Mm-hmm. I kept, I went to, and I'll be honest, I only went to like three or four, like it was very small amount. Mm-hmm. And when I would start telling my story, they had that face of like, like, what? <laughs> I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I have a lot to say about that. Tell me, I want to hear your, I would tell me. Oftentimes that thing, mm-hmm. either they look at you like, oh, you need a therapist, but it's not me. Or they don't know what to say, or they're overcome by, by hearing of your trauma. Mm-hmm. they're not trauma-informed therapists. They're just therapists that that are just, you know, maybe on their website or their Psychology Today profile, it'll say that they treat trauma, ADHD, addiction, depression, anxiety. That's bullshit. Yeah. We don't specialize say in every that. thing. Say everything. Yeah. And so then people come in and then they don't know what to do. And it pr- creates an unsafe environment for the person that literally needs them to hold space for them and help them, you know? Yeah. And, and so I tell anybody, if you, like I specialize in trauma. So what that means is I'm not going to look at you with the deer in the headlights. Yeah. I'm not going to look at you and just start bawling and, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. 
I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have, you for real have to do some research because yes. I started losing hope. I'm like, there's nobody else out here. That's what start actually made me create this pod, the, the podcast that I'm on. Yeah. Because I was like, people don't think this exists. And if right. they're only going to Google helpme.com or whatever. Yeah. And they get hit by that. They're going to feel totally singled out. I did. Yeah. I was like, I'm the only person in this world going through this. And there's yeah. no one that can help me. Right. And the one woman that I could even talk to that didn't seem like totally disturbed by it. Mm-hmm. She was so stoic that she didn't connect with anything I was saying. And I was just like, it was, I may as well like be consulting with the wall. Right. Which is cheaper. Yeah. So I'm like, let me just figure this out myself. <laughs> yeah. Heidi, everything you're saying makes sense. When I went to therapy for the first time, I don't know if I mentioned it on your on your podcast. I, I didn't know, know anything about therapy and I was not a therapist. Right. I called and I said, I didn't know anything about this place. I just called and I just told the poor little receptionist. I said, listen, I don't know anything about therapy except for what I've seen on the show Sopranos. So, <laughs> so I need a therapist that, that knows how to do her job and that isn't going to make me feel weird. And yeah. if it's not the right therapist, I will never go to therapy again. I just put that my whole life in this little poor girl's hand. You did say that. You did say if I, that I'm never coming back if you don't do it right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and then I went to this badass therapist and she wears all black all the time and she's got red hair and she would give me the tightest hugs and she just knew what she yeah. explained. Oh girl, you've got PTSD. You're not crazy. And we just worked on lots of things. So you and I can talk later if you ever want to pursue that and, and how to go about it. But 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 you're, you know, in my opinion, I don't know your life. You're doing good work and you're doing God's work right now with your podcast mm-hmm. and everything you're doing. So oh, I love to hear that. I appreciate it very much. You know, that your podcast is literally that's the Lord's work right there. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Sincerely. So. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's one of those things where my, the craziest part about it is that all of this is taboo. Yeah. I had to post this on my Facebook and be like, hey, it's about to be lit. You're going to hear some things you don't want to hear because people get a little like, you know, the church will will talk about certain things, but certain things you start pulling up with sexual abuse. And they're like, ah, I don't know. How about let's not like or let's take a sabbatical from Facebook or whatever. And it's like, nah, then this isn't for you. And that's OK. Yeah. But this podcast wasn't created for you. If you're in a good place and that makes you uncomfortable, then this is for the person that can say, I can connect with that. That ripped my whole world apart. And the fact that you are living your life and you're, you're doing you and you're fine, fine. (laughs) I'm saying fine in quotes because continuously a work in motion, but the truth is that you can get through all of that stuff. And so even if I connect with one person, if I connect with two, three people or whatever, they can say, holy crap that is my life, like through you or whatever, then that's what, that's what I'm doing it for. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So I've got some fun questions. I love fun questions. Bring them. When you want to dance, when you want to move your body, what kind of music, what's on your, what's on your playlist? Oh, salsa music. Nice. (laughs) All the way. Like I love salsa. I love bachata and I'm not as good at dancing at it. But I love watching it. And then salsa is very, very close. But yeah, 
salsa all the time. Yeah. Uh, who or what makes you laugh? Who are my children? My children make me laugh because I'm I'm pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And their father's pretty funny. And so it coming out of a child where it's like unfiltered funny mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. I can sit there and laugh all day. Yeah. Uh, who or what inspires you? Inspires me. You inspire me. What? You inspire me. People that are willing to take a step and do something that's not necessarily the norm, the comf- the comfortable, you know, this is not normal what we're doing. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that inspires me because it reminds me that it's okay to just not be normal. It's okay to step out of your comfort zone and not be just blase, fit in. That's it. And it's totally cool. That's you know? It. And then I have a question that's not on my list, but I think it's important for anybody that is aging out of the foster care system or an adult that grew up in foster care and they're feeling a way, they're feeling like nobody understands what this is like. Nobody knows what it's like to be kind of othered, right? Mm -hmm. To be treated differently in every way because you're a foster kid or whatever. Any words that you would want to say to that person just to let them know that, you know, whatever you want to let them know, anything. Those diversities Mm -hmm. are your gifts. Mm -hmm. So every single thing that we've been through is a gift that no other person can have. And yeah, it's torturesome in those moments. Those moments will pass right now. I have two incredible daughters that would not have life if I sat and tortured myself with how imperfect I am, how whatever. I am a woman. I can create children. I can create a family. Those girls look to me and say, I need you. Yep. I need you to be, be a mom to me. So the world continues, even though we feel like the world has stopped and that the, that we are secluded and that life is always going to be like this. It's not. And the coolest thing is that you get to make your own future. You get to do whatever you want to do. I wanted to start a podcast. I started a podcast. I wanted to draw. I started drawing on my little drawings. I started drawing. I, I wanted to do makeup. I started doing makeup. I wanted to do airbrush tanning. I started airbrush tanning. I got me an office job. Now I'm a marketing rep. You know why? Because I want to touch all of it. I want to do all of the things that people told me, you can't do this right now. This is whatever. And now it's time to just prove them wrong. Like, Hey, like I can do whatever, despite my circumstances. And not only that, I'll do it 10 times better because of my circumstances, you know, because you get a different outlook on life whenever you go through diversity. And that's like, straight facts, Mm -hmm. straight statistics. So if people really just take a moment to realize it's not always going to be like this, even though it's difficult, you know, just write it down. What do you want to do? Like, what have you always wanted that's been taken from you? What have you always wanted to have that you couldn't have? Go get it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. In, In essence, what I heard you say is that your life is not indicative of the people. Your life is not determined by the people who are not there 
the people oh, who walked yeah. out, the people who left, your family of origin, they don't get to determine your success in life, life, your purpose. No, they don't. And I'll tell you just uh, if I can have a, a moment longer, because I just recently, last year, I after going through some of this healing process, I decided, let me go visit my real mother. Mm-hmm. And let me go visit my real father, people that have not been in my life since I was five years old. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to have some solace and some understanding. So I think sometimes what we do is that we are... We, we take it all personal, like, oh, right. I'm about to get me and all this different stuff. But I had to understand it and wrap my head around it. So I went to visit my father. He is very, very ill. He's in prison for 40 years. So he was in the infirmary and he's out of his mind. Hmm. He's suffering dementia for one, which is part of it. But his paranoid schizophrenia, it's there. He barely knew. He knew who I was, but he was confused. He acted like a very much like a child. He was just like, you know, what's dark chocolate? Like these crazy questions. And I started speaking to him like a child, like I would my own children. Mm-hmm. Tell me, like, how, tell me about this. Do you like to sing? Because I love to sing. Maybe I got that from you. Like I kind of mm-hmm. whatever. And then after that four hour long conversation with him, I was like, holy crap, this guy ruined my life, quote, quote, right? That's the way that I 30 years at 35 years at that point. And he was out of his mind. Mm -hmm. He was not in control of those things he did. He was reactant to whatever situation he went through that day. And he just lost his mind. He couldn't control it mentally. He could not control it. He was mentally handicapped. So he wasn't poking at me. He wasn't poking at us. He wasn't trying to ruin our life. He didn't have no love for us. He had no control of himself. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it, that gave me freedom. And I'm like, now I understand. And that other stuff going into foster care, those people aren't going to treat me the same. I'm not their freaking kid. They're not going to treat me the same. You know, the other situations, everybody did the best that they could in that situation. Maybe they took advantage. So what? Maybe I would too. I don't know. But if you slow down and just start understanding each moment for what it is, Mm -hmm. it it gives you such freedom from that. And then I think that that allows you to heal. You know what I mean? That's it. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Give <laughs> freedom to heal. Don't get stuck. Just go look at it for what it is and be like, holy crap, that wasn't me at all. That was them. I'm glad I'm not them. Let me go create a life for myself. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. I just love talking to you. Um, okay. You. Uh, being on your podcast was one of the best experiences I've had in this whole podcasting world. Uh, I do feel mm-hmm. like in some ways that we're kindred spirits and just so glad that God weaved this moment together for us to, 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 to talk and get to know each other. But can you tell listeners, um, cause I want them to listen to your podcast as well and to be able to find you and follow you and all of that. Can you, can you share what you're, what you're working on, what you're doing and where they can find yeah. you? Yes. Okay. So uh, if they want to follow me on Instagram, because of course that's the place, right? You can follow yeah. me all that trauma podcast. Okay. So just the words all mushed together, all that trauma podcast. And then um, I'm on all forms for like a Spotify um, name them all off <laughs> Apple. All everything. of that. Yeah. All of them. All of them. You can find me there. All that trauma. Um, and I am writing a book. It is not 
not done by any means, but once that happens, then I'll pop back on your podcast so that I can throw that in there. And then yes. just, I'm just gonna say, <laughs> get my plug. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Come back out. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, thank you so much. It's been just so awesome having you on here and uh that's it awesome well thank you for having me thank you for joining me this week on when we speak please make sure you visit the website at tashahunterauthor.com while you're at it if you found value in the show i would appreciate leaving a reading it will help others find the show more easily and hopefully be a benefit to them as well 